pay no attention to that man behind the curtain over there who's knocking things around. So um, it, no one was hurt in the making of this video yet. So um, hello, everybody. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to believe it's May. Hard to believe it's four weeks since we worship the risen Savior on Easter Sunday. And so here we are. Uh, on May 3rd. Um, and believe it or not, uh, today we're also uh, uh, at the end of Ezra. So next week we'll start in Nehemiah. Um, and so it's uh, just to give you a little bit of a timeline, it's been 85 years, uh, roughly, from the time the people first came back from uh, Babylon under the edict of uh, the emperor of Persia to get there to Jerusalem. So we're at uh, about 85 years now, and um, we've noticed one of the things we talked about over the last couple of weeks is this problem that Ezra came up, uh, that he became aware of, and that is uh, many of the leading uh, men in the community had taken women who were not of the believing community into their homes. We talked a little bit about the word that's used here for marriage doesn't mean marriage. It actually is a more directly translated taken into their homes. Uh, and so there's these illicit relationships that are affecting the spiritual vitality uh, of the people of God. And so Ezra uh, saw those, and uh, he had a, uh, uh, tore his clothes, pulled out his hair, and um, uh, he um, called uh, all the leaders together. They met in the rain, had a, a, a time of repentance. Now they've set up a commission of sorts that goes through and is interviewing all of these uh, men to figure out um, what to do and what the problem is. And so what we come up with today, if you're looking uh, on the, the text, is a long list of names. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'm not going to read to you the whole list of names uh, this morning. I am going to read to you, though, from Ezra chapter 10, verses 18 uh, and 19, and then we'll skip down and read verse 44. So uh, get ready to, to look at that. And uh, But before I do that, let me pray, and uh, then we'll read the scriptures. Lord, as we come to you uh, this morning, we thank you for loving us. Uh, we thank you that our hope is in you, and we thank you that uh, you, um, you pursue sinners, uh, that you reveal sin, uh, and uh, that you make provision for it. Lord, uh, bless us uh, this morning as we look at this uh, text and uh, remember your grace and mercy to sinners. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Ezra 10, uh, verses 18 and 19, and then skipping down to verse 44. Uh, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now, there were found some of the priests who had married foreign women, Messiah, Eliezer, Jerob, and Gedaliah, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak and his brothers, they pledged themselves to put away their wives, and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. And then uh, down in verse 44, all these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. So uh, it's, a, it's a crazy situation that uh, the, that the people find themselves in. Uh, we don't know for sure why these men took these women into their homes, probably for uh, all sorts of reasons. Uh, 
um, not the least of which would have been uh, for status, maybe economic or political or social status. Um, and so they, uh, uh, they've done this. We talked a little bit last week about the fact that um, it's, a, it's an important thing for us to maintain, uh, in some sense, uh, the purity of the church. And one of the ways we do that is uh, by being faithful to the command of not to, to not be un, uh, unequally yoked uh, with uh, someone who's outside the, the community of faith. And so, again, I just want to say, you know, we probably don't do enough in the church to honor those people who are willing to make a sacrifice uh, to uh, uh, to maintain uh, that that standard that Scripture uh, holds out. And so, uh, ironically, you know, we don't have a list of the names of the people who were faithful, but we do have a list here of the people who weren't. Um, and maybe that strikes you as kind of odd or like shaming, right? Like you shouldn't call out the names. Here are the guys who, who did this, right? The priests, and if you read, they are the singers and the the gatekeepers, all of these people who are involved uh, in the uh, uh, religious life of the community there in Jerusalem. Now, just a thing to note, if, if you count it up, there's about 110 or so names on here, uh, which is not a huge number given the fact that there's probably close to 100,000 uh, folks there uh, in Jerusalem now. But nevertheless, it's worth uh, noting uh, because they are leaders, uh, particularly r- leaders in the faith community, that they need to be, uh, that this situation needs to be handled. And so uh, a couple of things that we can draw out of this text uh, this morning uh, is uh, is pretty important. You know, you may read this list and you may think it's a terrible thing that these guys have their names broadcast all over the Bible Now, here we are some thousands of years later looking at this list, recognizing that these were people who uh, who sinned. Uh, We don't like that that very much. Right. In fact, we we it's in our DNA to cover sin up. What's the first thing Adam and Eve do in the garden when they sin? They cover themselves up. They hide. Right. Um, We do that all the time. Uh. What do children do to parents? They cover up their sin and they lie. When I used to do youth work, when I always marked people, uh, parents as troubled, if they ever came to me and said, my child has never lied to me. Uh, I, when I was young and naive, I would answer that with, well, they lie to me all the time. And, uh, <laughs> but that never, that never went very far. So, uh, uh, that was not that was not great. But anyway, um, the the fact of the matter is, we lie and cover stuff up all the time. One of the one of the things Marty and I have done to kind of get through the lockdown period of time is our kids bought us two uh, subscriptions. Uh, one is BritBox and the other one is Acorn, which is all British TV. I I'm never going to watch American TV again. I only watch uh, British TV partially because. People in British TV shows look like real people. They have bad teeth. They have bad skin. They don't, you know, people in American TV shows all look like supermodels and athletes. 
But these people look like real people. I mean, the, the teeth is just stunning how bad their teeth are, but, uh, which makes it seem real to me. Uh, we only watch like the murder dramas and that kind of stuff. There's one show called Silent Witness that there's 23 seasons and we've gotten up to season 17. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things that strikes me as, as really interesting about these uh, British crime dramas is how much people lie. And what's even funnier about it is, I did, is unlike the United States, it looks to me like you can't go around anywhere in much of England without there being without you being on closed circuit TV. Is that that right? Kevin Schaefer lived lived in uh, London for a while, so so it's amazing. You can't go anywhere and do anything with some your own camera. And so people say, I was never there. And then, then the policeman's holding up this picture is like, well, that sure looks like you right there at that spot at this time. And it's just amazing to me how much people want to lie and, and cover up their sin. And, and part of the thing that is irritating to me about it is, is it slows everything down. If you just told the truth, we could speed things up and get to a resolution uh, 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 much quicker. But we like to lie and we like to cover things up. One of the things about this text and one of the things that I think is important about this list is and that, that it is a mercy of God. Let me be clear about that. It is the mercy of God to expose sin. Just like it's the mercy of God when someone goes and thinks they're fine and they take a medical test and they find out they're not. Right? Uh, because sin is a lot like a cancerous tumor or something like that that's insidiously growing inside of people that we may cover up and try to pretend that it's not there, but it is slowly but surely killing us. Now, that happens to individuals, but just imagine when that happens in a whole community, right? The fact that there are 110 families here that were involved in this, there had to be some sort of wink-wink, you know, kind of, you know, a thing going on where these people were tolerating what they knew to be wrong. And they're either they're trying to cover it up or they're not acknowledging it. And so the fact that now their names are called out and, and, and put here on a list uh, is just shows us the futility uh, because nothing is a secret for very long. Nothing. Um, and, and, and just so you, just so you know about that, that ultimately that is, that's a good thing for us. Um, I've said it over the 26 years of the existence of this church, a faithful prayer that I, as your pastor pray is that you will get caught. I pray that for kids. I pray that for adults, that if you're doing something, uh, that is going to lead to your death, if you're doing something that spiritually is is destroying you, I pray, uh, obviously, that you would come to your senses and repent of it. But sometimes you have to get caught uh, to have uh, uh, to have your sin revealed. And in the end, it, it, even though our consciences or something tells us the worst thing that could happen to me would be to be publicly, uh, you know, brought out or to to be public my sin to be uh, out in public. But it would be better to do that and deal with the shame of that and have it repented of 
have it confessed, have it forgiven, than to spend the time and energy to cover up something that's ultimately deadly to us. And so here, as we, as we look at this list, uh, it, it is a, it's a profound thing for us to see and what it must have been like for the community, for them to gather together and to recognize that 110 of their religious leaders, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers there in the temple had been doing this and now they're confessing it, right? Now they're acknowledging it. Now, maybe you think, well, that seems, that's very Old Testament, that's very harsh, where you would call out people by name and say, here's their sin. We don't do that in the New Testament church. We're, we're very uh, careful about that. The, the problem with that is that's not the case. In fact, uh, just to highlight a couple of uh, examples for that uh, to you, uh, uh, and, and what happens in the scriptures is, you know, in Galatians, uh, Paul is writing about the importance of the gospel and he names Peter, the rock, and calls him out in this letter to say, I rebuked him to his face because he was being a hypocrite about uh, not associating with Gentiles. I mean, that's, you know, he doesn't say there was someone who was prominent in the church that I rebuked. He calls him out by name. Uh, Paul later writes to the uh, to the church at Philippi, he calls out two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who are having a fight, who are having a conflict that is affecting the church. He names them in the letter. Just imagine, Euodia and Syntyche are sitting out there in the church when the letter comes and Paul's like calling them out by name. You two women need to stop it, right? Um I've told this story before. Um, my um, family was a big part of a church in Tennessee, Little Valley, uh, independent missionary, free will Baptist church. Uh, and it's this tiny little white church in a valley. It's very picturesque, beautiful cemetery. Half my family's buried there. Uh, it's what's in walking distance of the farm where my, my dad grew up and many of my uh, family went there. I, it, was, it was one of those kinds of churches where it's tiny. Uh, everybody kind of knows everybody. Everybody's kind of related to everybody who goes there. And uh, it's the kind of church that when they pass the plate for the offering, I remember being a kid and my dad put a 20 in the offering plate. And when the Offering came back, the guy stopped and asked my dad if he wanted change for the 20 because that was too big, too big of, of a gift uh, to put in, into the plate. Well, the pastor was going on one day about the sin of drunkenness, just going on and on and on and on and on about it. And my uncle Reuben, uh, who had been drunk uh, earlier that week, uh, has enough after this sermon of about 10 minutes and stands up and says, all right, everybody, it was me. Now, pastor, you can talk about something else, <laughs> uh, which is stunning and awesome. I just think that's uh, that, that's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm sure my Aunt Cleo, who was my Uncle Reuben's wife, told the pastor what a terrible thing he had done that week. But, um, you know, <laughs> listen, listen, it gets called out and it's just better if we just acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it. Deal with it if we have to deal with it with some sort of, you know, uh, uh, discipline or something like that. But get on with it rather than covering something up 
that ultimately leads to our death, right? The other thing to note about this list, the other thing that's good about it is, is there's something about it that I think is profound for us in the sense that uh, we look, uh, often one of the things that we do in the church, and this is right, the, the rightful thing to do, is we acknowledge that what unites us in the church is our common confession, right? When we confess the faith together, when we profess the truth of the gospel together, when we sing the truth of the gospel together, when we pray the truth of the gospel together, we can say that this is the thing that one of the things that unites us is the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. We all belong to him. We are uh, uh, children of our father in heaven and brothers and sisters to one another and brothers and sisters to Jesus and that we're united in him. One of the things that we probably don't think about uh, very much, but one of the factors that unites all of us is not just that we share a common Savior, but we share a common problem. We're all sinners. Uh, and if left to our own devices, all of us would end up dead in our trespasses and sins. And so one of the things that we have to remember, one of the big things that we have in common with each other is certainly our common salvation in Jesus Christ. But we have that in common with one another because we're sinners and we have that in common with each other. And that should change a bit about the dynamic, about the way in which we deal with one another. And it should remove the shame a little bit from identifying our sin and calling it out before one another because we all have that in common, right? Uh, even in Galatians, when Paul calls out the, the sin that's going on there, uh, 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 he's, uh, he, he wants them all to understand that this is something that they have in common. He wants us to be restored as people who look at the people who will call out the sin and receive the confession and the repentance of people. We do so from the standpoint of we have something in common with that person that we, too, are sinners, and that we too are humbled by the reality that 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 we're not better than somebody else. So that so that as we look at this list, these people aren't worse than the other people that are in the community. They all have this in common. They're all in need of uh, of of addressing our sins. And so it is it is one of the things that you know should kind of humble us and warm us up toward one another. Uh, is the fact that not only do we have a common salvation and not only do we have a common uh, confession, uh, a common um, uh, uh, body of truth that, that we believe, we also share in common the fact that we are sinners. Um, one of the things that I think is, is profound about that is, and one of the things that comes from that is, is the recognition not only are we sinners, not only are we all in this together, uh, but we're all mortal. You know, um, uh, and that the, the effect of that sin is that we're all going to die. We all have that in common. Uh, and so it's important for us uh, as, as we think about that and, and as we confront our sin and the sins of others, uh, that we do so from the humility of we're united we're together, we're similar, not just in our salvation, but in our need for salvation as well. Um, 
The other thing to note about this is, is how incredibly patient God is with his people. Like I mentioned at the beginning, it's been 85 years since the people returned there to Jerusalem. So I would imagine these women being taken into these homes and the fact that it says here at the end of the text that even some of them had borne children, that over this period of time there's been a slow erosion of the zeal, of the passion, uh, of uh, um, the pursuit of holiness and uh, the pursuit of being conformed more and more into the image that God has for them, that there's been a slow erosion over these two and a half generations that are there until you get this point where they're here there are 110 leaders in the community there who have fallen prey to this sin, right? So God's been very patient with this. Uh, he, you know, he didn't, uh, he, as, as time has gone on, uh, but he brought it to Ezra's attention and it had to be dealt with. Um, there's the, God allows us at times, sometimes, for there to be a drift. Uh, but he doesn't allow that drift of his church to go unchecked. And ultimately, ultimately, there is uh, a, a reckoning. Uh, these things, uh, these things get addressed, right? Um, it is it's a uh, a sobering humbling but also ultimately a good thing uh, that God does this for us and then lastly the thing to note about this is you know we don't we don't confess our sins and we don't repent of our sins in a vacuum right and in this case one of the things that we read here is uh that they pledge themselves to put away their wives so they're repenting they're actually acting on this and they have a guilt offering, a ram of the flock for their for their guilt. One of the things that you have to settle yourself on in, in this is that every time we confess and every time that we repent and every time that we ask for forgiveness for our sins, we do so in the context of the fact that God has made it so that we can do that. By virtue of the sacrifice of Christ. We take that for granted all the time. One of the things that is so stunning to me uh, that I, I noted when we did the study on numbers a couple of years ago was, you know, there was provision in the Old Testament law uh, for uh, for guilt offerings. But most of the provision for those guilt offerings was for things that were sort of accidental or things that were kind of tolerated in the community. Uh but the, the but if you determined ahead of time that you know you're going to do something and and you're going to pursue it no matter what, uh, there really was no guilt offering for that. Fortunately, the gospel, we have a guilt offering that counts for us, uh, for our known sins, for our sins of ignorance, for our sins of, of stubbornness, for our sins of weakness, for our sins of rebellion. All of those sins get covered. So this, they had the sacrifice of ram here for, for their sin offering. But we have the sin offering of Jesus Christ. And so whenever we confess our sins, whenever we receive the confession of someone's sins, whenever someone repents of sin, it's always in the context that the penalty for that sin, the ultimate penalty for that sin, has already been paid. Now, there may be consequences, temporal consequences to our sins, but the real ultimate penalty for our sin, 
the real ultimate removal of our guilt, the necessity of blood being shed and a guilt offering being offered uh, has already been done for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so that frees us up to recognize that we are, we can receive the repentance and the confession of someone uh, because Jesus has already died for that. But we can also uh, uh, be quick and free of our uh, of, uh, in ourselves to confess our sins uh, as well. Um, and this this is this is a great uh, a great thing uh, about the way uh, the gospel works for us, right? You know, the gospel has power uh, that uh, for us that. Um, um, not only removes uh, our uh, sense of guilt and shame, but also energizes us towards being quick to repent and quick uh, to confess. So that one day there will be a list read, a list of names. Um, we read in Revelation about the list of names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, and those people who are in there, whose names are written on that list, are not perfect people, uh, smart people, gifted people. Uh, they're ultimately there because uh, the Lamb has identified them as His by His uh, shed blood. And so I think that's a, a great thing for us to remember today. Listen, you know, there's going to be tons of opportunities for you guys to repent of your sins uh, during the quarantine. Right. And one of the things that I'm anticipating as we prepare to open up uh, and I've used this example before is that what what we in the church kind of are preparing for uh, is not unlike what we did when uh, when Hurricane Isabel and Hurricane Irene came through. Uh, you hunker down. The storm passes, you have a sense of relief, and then as the community comes out of its shell and looks around, you see the destruction. You see that there's life, you see that there's beauty even in that, but you also see the effect that that had on the community. I know uh, that some of you uh, are experiencing uh, trauma, psychological, emotional trauma. Uh, I know some of you are experiencing relational trauma. Uh, and I know that some of you are confronting and dealing with these things in your relationships and yourselves uh, in ways that are ultimately destructive. Uh, one of the things that has struck me in, uh, in this time is... Uh, how many people are walking? I mean, it it is amazing uh, to to see. How, how, I, I think maybe our fitness level as a community might be going up. Although I think as many people are walking, uh, also many people are eating a gallon of ice cream uh, every day or worse to uh, uh, to kind of uh, kind of deal with this. I'm certain that as time goes on, uh, we'll have opportunities to confess and repent. The ways, sinful ways maybe, that we have coped uh, with uh, the storm. Um, but in all of that, the way we will handle that with one another 
And the way we will handle this with ourselves is the recognition that we already have a guilt offering. You're not your guilt offering. Your spouse is not the guilt offering. Your children are not the guilt offering. Jesus Christ is the guilt offering. And he's already been offered. So um, I came across this week, I've been reading uh, uh, these collects, these prayers from uh, different liturgical traditions. And I'll let this kind of be uh, my closing prayer before we go to the confession of sin. But the collect for today uh, says this, Almighty God, you show those in error the light of your truth, right? You expose their sin so that they may return to the way of righteousness. Grant faithfulness to all who are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's church, that they may avoid whatever is contrary to their confession and follow all such things as are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And so would you join me now as we uh, uh, use this confession of sin that is uh, from uh, the Valley of Vision? It's a, it's a great confession of sin. There's like a million different um, biblical images uh, in, uh, in this confession. So would you, uh, would you confess uh, your sins uh, with me this morning? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come, come before, before you in need, need of, of your grace. grace. We have, we have sinned, sinned against, against you and, and our neighbor. neighbor. Have, have mercy, mercy on us, O Lord. Lord. Too, often Too often have we chosen the fruit over the garden. garden. Too, Too often have we bowed down to the golden calf. calf. Too often have we begged for a sign. Too often have we declared Caesar to be Lord. Too often have we demanded to see the wounds in your hands. Too often have we substituted our image of you for you. Too often have we neglected your call to be salt and light. Too often have we reduced following Christ to self-righteousness. Too often have we forgotten Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Too often have we acted on sight and not on faith. Believers hear these words of encouragement from Zephaniah. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil.